Amen. So we're continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians, and we're up to chapter 4. It's taken us a while to get here, but we will get through it in the next five years, so don't worry about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read it. It's not a particularly long chapter. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV, but you can follow along in whatever translation you have. The odd word may be slightly different. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. What a fearful thing, hey? It's going to expose every motive of every heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich, you have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are honoured, sorry, you are honoured, but we are dishonoured. To this very hour we grow hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. Uh, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only 
how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? So here we've got the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's having some issues with some of the people in the church. Uh, the previous chapters that we've gone through, just a quick reminder, that different leaders are trying to gain authority in the church and they're saying, well, I'm a better leader than he is, and they're all fighting with each other, and Paul is speaking into this context. And they've also rejected him as an apostle, and so he's trying to address the balance. Now, really, this chapter's all to do with pride. Pride seems to be the kind of key word. If you look at verse 6b, uh, he says, um, where are we? Uh, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things uh, to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. Now Paul starts the chapter by saying something really simple. He had been entrusted by something from God. The thing he'd been entrusted with are what he calls the mysteries of God. And then he says, if we've been given a trust, we've got to be faithful. Let me ask you this morning, what's God entrusted you with? How faithful are you with what God has entrusted you with. It's really important. If we look in Matthew 25, just going to turn there for a moment. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them uh, with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole, and hid it in the ground. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The master, uh, sorry, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had received the one bag of gold came Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, 
harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags of gold. For whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, when Jesus returns, we give account. It's not something that's popular these days. You know, we, we, we kind of like to preach stuff and talk about stuff that's all about God just loves us and God wants everything to be okay, but we are heading towards a specific point in time. And these are words of Jesus. He's the one who gives us that we have to give account. And I want to encourage you this morning, you may not think it's encouragement, but whatever God has given to you, you need to prove faithful. You need to make sure that what he has called you to do, what he has given you to do, is not just for yourself, but is there so that other people benefit and we fulfill what God wants us to do. There is a fixed point that we're coming towards. Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. Then, this is about Jesus, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. You know, some people say, well, where is this coming of Jesus? Well, let me tell you, it's coming. There are a whole load of prophecies and things that the Bible talks about need to be fulfilled. It amazes me that this book that is over 2,000 years old, it is still relevant today because it talks about the things that are coming. If you're familiar with what the Bible talks about, you will not be surprised at what's going on in our world today. The turmoil, the famine, the poverty, the greed, the war against this nation, the war against that nation, dictators who seem to be insane. But there is one event that we will all attend. It's that one event that we need to plan for. It's that one event that is there at a point in our future and we can't avoid it. I buried my father last week. He's arrived at that point. Whether we live and Christ returns and we arrive at that point, or whether we die and we come to that point, we can't escape it. I find it really interesting, anybody here who doesn't have a pension? 
obviously the little children I'm not including, but we all have a pension. Why? Well, it's stupid if we don't plan for the future. We need to have something when we retire. We need to plan for the future. Let me ask you a question. What are you going to be doing in a hundred years' time? You might say, well, I'm not going to be around. Well, you are. You won't be around here on this earth, but you will be around. What about 500 years' time from now? What are you going to be doing? The Bible talks about us being eternal people. We will walk through this gate of death and then we will meet Jesus. We will go through the judgment and we will be uh, held accountable for what we've done. We will be rewarded if we've done well. But then there is an eternity after that. Not just five years or 60 years or 90 years, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And I want to ask you a question. If you've spent 45 years paying into a pension, what are you doing for your life after this life that will continue? It's a bit of a challenge. The Apostle Paul, if we move over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and from verse 6 to 8, this is what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, the point is this, that the Bible talks about reward. The Bible says that we will be rewarded for what we do. The parable of the talents is about that. If we have done well with what God has given us on the earth, then when we come into his kingdom, whatever we are doing, that he will give us a reward in that. And you know, uh, I can't really substantiate this, but I cannot believe that heaven is a place where we're just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. The origin of earth was all about human beings living on it and doing stuff. Sin scuppered what we should be doing and we've become selfish and we fight and we're greedy and all those things. But once that is all sorted and we get a new heaven and a new earth, there is still going to be stuff to do. We can be creative. We can do things. And everything we do now in this life will determine exactly what we will be doing in the one that is to come. Jesus himself says, if we look at Matthew 6, sorry I'm jumping around a bit. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you get this idea. Jesus is saying, plan for the future. 
says, yeah, you can get whatever you want in this life, but this is not the only place you're going to be. There is an eternity to come. And what are you doing about that life? One of the great tragedies, I was talking with my family at my, my father's funeral in Germany, uh, nearly every funeral is an open coffin. And if you're not used to an open coffin, it's a bit of a shock. You're not used to seeing somebody who has died. But you know, we need the reality of knowing that we're not here forever. It's, it's part of living that we know these things are coming down the line. In Matthew 19, just a few uh, pages on, verse 21, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Let me tell you something. If you want treasure in heaven, give to the poor. Folks often wonder, what can I do for my place in heaven? Well, if you want to have treasure in heaven, here's Jesus saying, very simple, you give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And not giving to the poor, you determining what they do with it, just give. Be generous. You know, there's a massive challenge for us in how we live on this life because we avoid talking about death because we don't want to think about what comes after that. I was reading an article that was supposed to be humorous and the guy said, it's only in the medical industry doctors that fail 100% because everybody dies. We all die. We all come to that point and it's about where we go. I have been so encouraged that my father had faith in Jesus, that he walked with him for 87 years and he knew where he was going. There was no fear in death and God was so gracious and taking him quickly. He was there with his family and now he is with the saviour that he has served. But I tell you what, there's a whole load of people who are very scared about death. Very nervous, what's going to happen? Well, it says in the Bible here, we, we shouldn't be surprised. It talks to us about what is going to happen when this life comes to an end. And, and the thing that 1 Corinthians here is talking about is we need to be prepared for this. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The greatest tragedy we have is when we only look at what we can see. When life is all about fame or finance or wealth or whatever, if that is our only focus, we begin to lose what we are really about. Christ's return, his judgment, his reward, it is the focal point of all humanity. It has been prophesied for over 6, 
thousand years. It's coming. And it will determine what we do from all eternity. And I'm not, I'm not preaching this because I want you to be fearful. I'm preaching this because I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. What does that mean? Well, it means we need to be in a right relationship with God. Jesus has made that possible. If you come uh, over the next four weeks as we go through Advent, you'll hear us talking about the prophecies of God loving humanity and making a way and speaking about it for the Messiah to come and pay the punishment for our sins, to make a way for us to be rightly related to God, that when we come to this point of judgment, we will hear the words... Well done. Well done. I want to hear a well done. I've given my life to serving God because I know I'm on this earth, I don't know how many years, but I have an eternity and I want to hear a well done. Now, it's not easy. Because we live in a world that is extremely anti-Jesus. It's becoming more so. You say anything that is traditional about marriage or anything that is a traditional about relationships and the role of man or woman or how, and you have a massive problem. Our world has moved away from values that are compatible with what Jesus Christ taught. And what does Paul do? He says, well, we know Jesus is coming and all of you guys have been arguing in Corinth about Apollos is a better leader, no Paul's a better leader, no this guy's a better leader, no that. And he says, let me tell you something, it doesn't matter what people's opinions are, it only matters what Jesus' opinion is. You see, Paul was living with this thing knowing at some point he's going to come and stand before Jesus and therefore that's all that matters. <laughs> He even says, Paul says, I really don't care what a human court says, because it's temporary. There are people who have followed Jesus over the last 2,000 years of church history who were thrown in prison, who were killed for believing in Jesus, and they knew that the human court was only ever temporary. That when they left this earth, they come into an eternity where they are welcomed by Christ for holding on to what he told them to hold on to. And so Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the government believes. It doesn't matter what our council believes. It doesn't matter what people say. The only thing that matters is what Jesus Christ says about us. This book, the Bible, is so important because in it, we read about what Jesus said and we can make a choice whether we align our lives with the way he wants us to live or whether we get influenced by the world saying, no, do this and do that. Christ matters. What we do as human beings, it only matters in terms of of Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you this morning, are you preparing for that time when you will have that conversation with Jesus? I want to preach this this morning because I want it to be a time of joy. You know, my father was looking forward to seeing Jesus. He wasn't scared. 
He was looking forward to that point. A believer who dies is looking forward to meeting Jesus, to be rid of the constraints of the earth, the pain, the infirmities that hit us as we get older, and to be in a place of freedom and to be with Christ. Now the challenge, the challenge is that when we live in the world, the world can influence us. You know, I don't know whether you guys see it, but more and more when my kids watch Disney Channel or when they watch one or the other, the influence in the programs and what they're bringing, the very political adult themes that they're trying to introduce to children. Because they want to make a point. And the difficulty is that Jesus' values and the world values are very often not compatible. You see, the Corinthian believers had said to Paul, hey man, we're rich, we've arrived, we've got everything that we want. The world looks at us and says, man, this is an amazing church. And so Paul says, let me contrast for a moment. He says, you're celebrating the way that the world sees you. Let me tell you how the world sees the apostles and the true believers who follow Christ. And then he says, we are fools, we are weak, we are dishonored. He says, but the world says about you, you are wise and you're strong and you're honored. And there is a danger that if we measure up to the world, we're not going to measure up to Jesus. Should be a scary thing if the world speaks well of the church. Now, I'm not on about us doing things that cause offence. We love all people. We care for all people. We're here to help all people. But that doesn't mean we embrace every ideology. It doesn't mean we embrace every value. There are things we say, no, I disagree with that. But that doesn't mean I hate you. That doesn't mean I want bad things to happen to you. It just means that I am following Christ. And he says, that's not how I'm going to live. And Paul is really good. I mean, he goes through and he says, you know, we've been suffering hardships. We hunger, we thirst, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, we're working hard. And then he says this, uh, people curse us, they persecute us and they slander us. What do we do? Well, we bless. We endure the persecution. And when people say bad things about us, we are kind in return. Paul sums up how the world saw the apostles 2,000 years ago. He says in verse 13 of uh, 1 Corinthians 4, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. You see, the challenge is this. The world is built upon pride. I'm really sorry. You look at our world, you look at our leaders and influential people, and humility is not a hallmark. It's arrogance. There are even movements that give themselves the label pride. Maybe people should read Proverbs 16 verse 8 because it says that pride goes before destruction. And I don't want anything bad to befall anybody, but I know that we need to honor Christ. We need to be those who honour God and we do the things that God has called us to do. And as our world departs from Christian values, it's going to be much harder for us 
to walk a path because there will be the influence saying, hey, why don't you join us in these things? Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 18, some of you have become arrogant. We need to be humble people. We need to be caring and loving people. We need to respond in the right way to people, but we need to be really sure that in our journey, we don't throw away the values of Jesus and lose what he has called us to be. We're called to be a holy people. That means we don't commit adultery. That means we don't steal. That means we don't lie. It means that we follow the values that Jesus taught through Scripture. We are a people set apart even though we live amongst a people. The early church grew because people looked at Christians and said, man, you live very differently. That guy curses you and you bless him. That guy treats you badly and you endure it. Those people slander you and you say kind things. Let me encourage you this morning. Keep a long perspective. Not a perspective fixed on the next 20 years or 30 years, but a perspective that says, I've got a thousand years ahead. I've got 2,000 years ahead. A perspective that sees that what Jesus said will come to pass and at some point in our lifetime or beyond it, Jesus Christ will return. I tell you that, I say that to you with all confidence, he is coming back. And so Paul then says to these Corinthians who were arrogant and proud and he says, guys, I want you to imitate me. I want you to be someone who blesses people, who endures difficulty, and who is kind even though treated badly by others. Jesus did that. Jesus didn't slander people. Jesus didn't get a sword out and attack people. But he also didn't compromise the truth that he spoke. That's why he was crucified in the end, because he stood fast with what he had. And so as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians 4, I want to encourage you, bless, be one who endures. We all go through hardship, endure it, and be kind. Always be kind. Even where you disagree, be kind. But remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. He's where we're going. He's where we're heading towards. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, read about him. Read about what he says. Read through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And get your relationship right with Jesus. I've been so humbled in the last number of weeks just how Jesus has carried me through. I don't know how people cope if they haven't got Jesus who gives strength. And he doesn't just give a funny kind of strength, he gives an, inter an internal strength that gets you through the difficult times. He helps you to endure, he helps you to bless, he helps you to be kind. You're not doing it through gritted teeth. And so be encouraged this morning, he loves you. 
He cares for you. You see, the reason he's given us these things, he wants an eternity with us in it. He wants us to be with him. He wants to say, well done, well done. And so I want to encourage this morning, pursue Jesus with all that you have. Because he is the one who determines all things. Let's pray.